Champion bachelors Craig and Greg present a myriad of topics centering on relationships and addictions in the positive lights of experience, strength, and hope. Both have struggled with the strongholds of addiction and with relationships that went awry, and both have emerged on the other side, stronger, wiser, and better prepared to become what they once set out to be. You're listening to The Solution. In December of 2003, Ryan Mahan's lowest point was about to begin. The Los Angeles freeway was the near end to this actor who worked on soap operas The Guiding Light and As the World Turns. When the second of two racing cars ran into him and sped off, his body and mind as a result of the accident, now belonged to PTSD. It was somatic experiencing to his rescue, and ultimately, to our rescue. Welcome to The Solution. I'm your host, Craig Dolan. I'm happy to be sitting here with Brian Mahan, the author of the book, I Cried All the Way to Happy Hour. Well, the book started off with a bad car accident. Tell us a little bit about that. I was on the 10th freeway and there were two cars that were racing on the freeway, like out of the movie Fast and Furious. And the first car blew by me. The second car tried to get around me and clipped me, which sent my car end over end and then rolled three times across three lanes of traffic. And I slid on the driver's door 150 feet and crashed into a concrete wall. And um, the title of the chapter of that book is the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, because of that event, I ended up having panic attacks, but I didn't know that they were panic attacks. Um, I just thought I was either going crazy or I had become possessed. <laughs> and um, I actually sought out um, a referral for an exorcist and was instead sent to a trauma specialist um, who does the work that I do. And in three sessions, my panic attack stopped. So within two weeks of that third session, uh, there was a training starting in Los Angeles and I jumped in. You know, my car did, you know, a few 360s, but my life did a 180. At the time, you know, it was interesting. You were, you were, you were out there for acting. There was a part in uh, 21 Jump Street where Richie Greco. Part was to replace Johnny Depp. Replace Johnny Depp. Okay. And then uh, Richard got the job. But one of the reasons why Richard got the job is that I blew the final interview uh, because my own personal shame took over. You know, literally took over my body and I started speaking nonsense and collapsed within myself and just kind of like imploded. And so I think that that's why, you know, I um, didn't get the job. Quite often in life, some of the worst things that happen to you produce the most gold. We look at shame um, properly. We look at it as a physiological condition not a psychological disorder, but we also look at trauma the same way. It's a physiological condition. It's a disorganization that occurs within the brain. So the higher, middle, and lower brains aren't communicating the way they're supposed to. And then the lower brain governs the nervous system. And so the nervous system isn't behaving the way that it can or should. And so all of that you know, kind of boils down to these basic uh, survival strategies, the freeze, flight, fight, uh, fawn, and feign. And those are the ways that the human animal responds to threat. 
threat of any kind. And when we're facing overwhelm, like an extreme situation, like a car wreck, or underwhelm, like neglect, or what I call death by a thousand paper cuts, our history of shaming experiences, right? Our nervous system can get stuck and we enter into these kind of habituated patterns. So we can get stuck in a flight response. We can get stuck in a fight response. We get stuck in a frozen or shut down place. And so what I do is I help people to, um, you know, kind of bring the, the old charge of a memory back online. So the body's responsive and reactive enough. And then we drop the story and we start focusing on the sensations of what's happening in the body. And by doing that, we are listening to the communication, right? Sensation is nothing more than communication. And it's the communication of our bodies trying to talk to us, trying to get our attention, right? We have to learn how to lean in and get curious about it and willing to feel it. And then in doing so, we're giving, we're getting out of the way. We're not fighting it and resisting it. So that way the nervous system is actually able to unwind and discharge and reorganize and return to homeostasis and resilience. The single most determining factor as to whether or not anybody gets better in any practice with any practitioner is based in the client's ability to feel sensations in their bodies, to language those sensations correctly, to then attach the right affect or emotion to that collection of sensations, and then have the right meaning or belief about the emotion and about feeling that emotion and about expressing that emotion. And so an emotion is nothing more than a collection of sensations. Our explicit memory, as we think of memory, isn't that accurate to begin with. Studies have shown that your memories that you have of your life can be 50% inaccurate. I have a former girlfriend or whatever, and I can think you would, you know, the two of you would go through a situation that one of the two of you are really bothered about. Right. And she, she might pick me apart and say, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Right. And then part of me goes, well, I think it did. I know it did. But well, there's, two, there's a few things that could be going on there. One is gaslighting. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> trying to convince you that what is real and what you remember is wrong. Yeah. Right? That could be. But there's also this other phenomenon of any two animals in the same location at the same time having the same experience can have two completely different experiences. <laughs> Why is that? Because we have our own filters, we have our own, you know, ways of thinking and ways of experiencing things, you know. So, you know, somebody that's very linear, logical, cognitive might remember something very differently than somebody who's very creative, artistic, and emotional. Right, because we think through different lenses, right? Right, and so, you know, it isn't that you didn't say what you did and what you said, but she may not have, it may not have landed in her in that way in which she could take it in or could, rem- or you know, remember it in that way. Right. Okay. So she may have, you know, interpreted it in her own way. Right. You know, or in a more nefarious way, she might have been gaslighting. <laughs> well, that's, that's, yeah, we'll just go, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Stayed with us this far, and that shows commitment. 
proving you possess the trait required to obtain the solution. Now let's rejoin the show already in progress. Can we talk about traditional talk therapy as being top-down? Mm-hmm. You know, thoughts down into emotion. And we look at somatic work or somatic practices because somatic experiencing isn't the only tool and technique that right. focuses on the body. Um, those are bottom up. So focusing on body and sensation. And then from that experience, the meaning and all of those things can begin to shift and change. Yeah. Right. Whereas with traditional talk therapy, they're trying to help you do mental gymnastics to reframe something cognitively so that it, you can then find some other kind of meaning in the event. Right. And somehow that's supposed to be healing. Yeah, and your body's not included then. Not included. Oh, in- I mean, look, most people are walking around and their body is nothing more than a vehicle to move their head through space. Right. You know, most people are so cognitive and so disconnected and dissociated from their bodies. This is so uh, incredibly, I don't know what word to use, just profound. Healing and true and profound and long-lasting healing, we're working in the realm of neuroscience. We're needing, you know, we're, 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 we're working towards neuroplasticity, meaning rewiring the brain rewiring the circuitry or taking a neural pathway and working with the short circuits that are within it as a result of past wounding experiences and clear that neural pathway so that you know the communication can flow more freely through it or create a whole new neural pathway now the brain mapping studies have shown that in order for neuroplasticity to occur so that means a synapse to be formed and attached somewhere right. or an old configuration of synapses to detach and reattach in a different configuration. Okay. To pull out right. and put. Right. Into yeah. Like the old switch, you know, I always say yeah. the support operators, right? Yep. The cables around in order for that to happen. It takes around a minimum around 400 repetitions. Really just to keep doing it. And- well, think about how many times you have a negative thought and how many oh, times right. you have a negative thought and how entrenched that becomes. You're creating a neural pathway in alignment with that negative thought. Right. And if that belief, so let's say you formed a negative belief about yourself as a child that, you know, I'm unlikable or I don't deserve or there's something wrong with me, right? You form that belief when you're three or four. And then you continue to habituate that throughout your entire life. Now you go into a healing practice and you want to have it all healed in an hour. Well, that's just not going to happen. Right, right, right. Right. Everybody's looking for the magic bullet and the, and the you know, and it doesn't exist. But here's the good news. Within the concept of neuroplasticity, we can expedite the process exponentially if we work, or I shouldn't say work, if we approach it with play and curiosity, because play and curiosity are dopamine-rich experiences, and dopamine appears to be the jet fuel for neuroplasticity. Okay, okay. So this is another reason why even working in the imaginal realm can be really profound. You take the word shame, and you say you don't want to, you don't have to heal it, but you have to just change it. 
to positive shame, right? Well, what we want to do is transmute toxic shame into healthy shame. Yeah. What we're ultimately looking at is in simple terms, toxic shame is in, is in the way in which we identify. I'm bad. I'm wrong. I'm dumb. I'm ugly. I'm fat. I'm a loser. I, you know, um, always have bad luck, right? Whatever those kind of identifications are. Mm-hmm. We need to be able to explore those and feel what that feels like when you're holding that thought. Then bringing the attention awareness into the sensations of those feelings that you're having, begin to tease those apart. And when you're in the process of feeling those uncomfortable feelings, there's the opportunity to inquire, is there anything old and familiar about the way this feels? And in that, the higher brain and the middle brain start kicking up the memories of the moments leading back throughout your life where you had this feeling. And sometimes we can land on an original wound where that lesson was learned. Yeah. Now we can work in that in, in that memory in the imaginal realm in a lot of different ways. Like we can imagine a different outcome, but just imagining it as if it, as an image isn't um, going to make the change. When we're imagining it, we have to feel the feelings of what it's going to be like you know, in that moment, right? Because when we have the feelings within our imagination, now it's real because the lower brain doesn't know the difference between perception and reality. Right, right. Right, so we can reimagine things. We can, um, you know, get into the neurobiology of these old uncomfortable feelings and patterns and get them to unwind and discharge and reorganize. And then all of that is calling into question this old limiting belief that has been running the show for all these years, then we can have reparative and corrective experiences in the present day, sometimes in a therapeutic practice. And then that bleeds out into our lives. And eventually the work that we do on the original wounds, the reparative experiences we have in our present day, all of that starts to call into question these old beliefs. They lose their validity. They fall away. All the symptoms, all the behaviors and things that were, you know, um, in that and those beliefs um, also fall away. And then we can move forward in our lives without the encumbrance of that old limiting belief and all the behaviors that followed suit. Brian, thanks a lot for coming on to the show. I cried all the way to happy hour. I'm sure those were happy tears too. So, somatic experiencing, it's a phenomenal thing. Take care, Brian. Thanks again. Listener, take care. This concludes this episode of The Solution. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to check out our next episode. Send your questions and comments to Craig2042 at gmail.com. That's Craig with a C. Be sure to subscribe to The Solution so you can be notified the moment the next exciting episode is ready for you to listen to. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast player.